I'm back, people. Monday, April 24th. Now, I remember that old rhyme, 30 days has September, April, June, and November, which means if today is April 24th, Dan, it's the last Monday in the month of April. So welcome to Market Call. This one, of course, brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. I was clearly away last week, but I think the most important takeaway that I have, Dan, and, and maybe you would agree, disagree, Big game tonight at Madison Square Garden. Rangers-Devils, pivotal game four. Obviously, Rangers looking to take a commanding 3-1 lead. The Devils looking to tie it up away from the Prudential Center. We'll sure we'll get into that, but how are you? I'm doing well. We missed you, Guy. And I got to tell you, the show does not start the way it just did without you because I just don't have that those sorts of chops. You know what I mean? And one thing I think the people... You guys, you guys better get your full of guy Dami right now because there are two openings, prime time, man, with uh, with your boy Tucker gone and Don sure. Ryan gone. I'm sure your agent is fielding calls left and oh, right. You should say that. The phone has been ringing off the hook. And, and by the way, um, smash the like button, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And yeah. I know folks know because it's Monday. It's Carter Worth. And I got to tell you, folks, you're in for a treat because he typically looks fleek. I don't know what that means. Today he is fleekest, if I may. Fleekest. Um, listen, a lot going on this week. There's some data, lots yep. of earnings. Earnings. Uh, last week there was just a kind of a couple important earnings, you know, single kind of one-off sorts of situations. And there was definitely some movement. And I think, you know, late last week it was kind of interesting, guy. You know, you had Procter and Gamble uh gapped up. Three and a half percent on Friday closed very well, very near a 52 week high. Uh, a lot of pricing power there that was powering their growth. And then the flip side, you know, Tesla, which I think is a very stock specific story, they kept on blaming um, the economy to, to some of their. So, so it's kind of interesting. I think we're gonna, like, likely to get a much more like thematic view this week. And I'll just say this, and I know we're going to talk about some of these names with Carter a little bit, with Microsoft reporting tomorrow night, Alphabet reporting tomorrow night, and then later on the week. Uh, Amazon, I think what those companies have to say about demand for their cloud services are mm -hmm. going to be really important. I think that's the sort of thing that you will extrapolate across, not just across technology, but lots of dif different industries that are using these sorts of services. So, you know, to me, that's going to be really interesting. But guy, you were gone a week. Okay. I know you, you know, check out the FactSet app when you're out and about on mm -hmm. your smartphone. Um, but to your eye, not a whole heck of a lot happened, right? Like, no, it's well, in terms of the broader market, no. You know, I walked away on Friday, the 14th of April. I think the SP was 4140 ish right now, down on the day. But when I got back today, basically opened at 4140. So, in terms of the SP, nothing changed. I know it had some movement up and down, but here we are. The VIX, you know, straddling 17, which is clearly pushing the lower end. I would submit the underperformance of, or relative underperformance of the Russell is concerning. And I just want to sort of echo what you said. You know, Microsoft has become an extraordinarily, in my opinion, economically sensitive name, which might sound bizarre. And maybe it is a little out there. But I will tell you, you know, you mentioned it. It's not just technology. There's so many other verticals that will play into this. And if they are seeing a slowdown in end use demand, that's problematic, especially when you think of it in terms of 
they're slowing. The margins have been somewhat declining as well. And I go back, you know, it's like I want to pick on Microsoft, which is false. I mean, you go back and listen over the years. We've been extraordinarily positive in that company, and it was the right way to be. But the world changed about a year or so ago. Valuations began to matter, and things seemingly started to decelerate for them. The bounce off that 222 level up to 290 has been, in, in a word, inexplicable, although we have tried to explain it, large part due to, well, I mean, all multiple expansion, but this belief that Microsoft is going to win the AI wars as well, which maybe they will, but that's not happening tomorrow. And the last couple of quarters have not been up to snuff in terms of Microsoft uh, historic standards. Well, and not only that, I mean, as a huge contributor, S&P earnings, right? So that's something that if we think about the market, guys, kind of interesting. I just itched my forehead. And right after I did that, you did that. Pavlovian. Yeah. Did you see me do that? No, because I try, if you notice where my eyes are, I'm actually looking at the camera. Now, if I look at you, which I'm doing now, that's very discerning for the viewers. So it's amazing that people that have been now on Zoom for so long don't understand that you need to look at the camera when speaking to individuals, because now I'm, I am engaged with you in the audience. You know what I do? I I literally am looking at my camera, but I'm also looking at my fact set screen. I'm also looking at our rundown here, guys. So like I have everything right in front of me and I can see you. So that's really nice for me. Um, All right, let's do it. Carter's got some great work here on the S&P 500 over time. He said this on many occasions. We haven't made a whole heck of a lot of progress in a couple of years in the broad markets, but he definitely wants to look at Microsoft uh, and Google here. So let's bring him in. Carter Braxton Worth. Of work starting. There he is. Hey, bud. How are you, guys? Happy, wow. happy Monday. Happy, happy, happy Monday. First Carter. Monday of spring, right? Did you do a little spring cleaning over the weekend or something good like that? No, guy was guy was in Napa sipping sipping wine. You know, I mean, that was he was just cleaning out his pipes. I guess a little. <laughs> Pardon me. Yeah. No, you know, you mentioned. I know we got we don't have a lot of time here, but since I, this has all been pent up shit, Dan drinking water. Now I did see yeah. that. Yeah. You know, when I hear spring clean clearly, and I know all the folks watching and listening also think it's just a spring clean for the May Queen. Obviously, a line from the great Stairway to Heaven. That's off Zeppelin Four. Back to you, Dan. All right, fair enough. All right, Carter, talk to us a little bit. You you mentioned this on many occasions of late. Um, you will often indicate which direction you think the market will break, but you made the point that we haven't made a whole heck of a lot of progress. And you have a whole host of reasons for doing that. Walk us through a little bit of your thought process right here, because you know, if you look at just over the last three weeks since April, you know, it looks like the market has literally just flatlined here in front of what we know is a really important earnings season and also a really important Fed meeting and a lot of economic data that might dictate the balance of this year and give us a better sense whether we're likely to be in a recession at some point in 2023. Well, sure, you can feel the so the words quiescent come to mind, but also tension, meaning we are basically sitting in a very tight range. The market's closing close to unch, only down or up 20, 30 base points on day after day. In fact, week over week, because a lot of people say good technique is when it's unclear uh, to stay away, right? Not to make any big bets that the market will be informed by news, news being fundamentals being earnings and that it's either all about to take a downturn here or it's going to be a-okay and off to the races and that one should react to the ball not predict the direction and and that is again that's perfectly good technique um you know i'm always inclined to try to 
get in advance and then you risk being wrong, but that's okay. You take measures when you're wrong, but there's not, uh, it's not random. It's not out of nowhere that we're in this very sort of standoffish pair of twos kind of moment because um, th things are coming that will determine whether indeed this market should be lower, if you can use the word should in this business or should be higher. Carter, real quick, and I, I, I'm not looking to tee you up here, but the week that I left, I think you came on Fast Money, and the S&P closed, didn't close unchanged to the penny, as they said, but it was within you know half a point or so from closing unchanged. And then last week, I saw a couple days where you know, the S&P might have closed up or down one or two. I mean, historically, I can't believe that happens all that often. And then I would submit to your point, something's got to give here. I mean, we are just sort of waiting one way or another. I think it's pretty well understood where I think, but am I right in, in looking at it through that lens saying it's sort of like you're waiting for that fuse to ignite something? And and and, and again, that is that is a reasonable, I mean, sort of a, a cautious, sort of prudent approach would be to say, let's just see how the dust settles here. We don't want to get big short just before all of a sudden it's actually a-okay from Apple and Microsoft and Google and Amazon, and then we get run over or big long here and they disappoint. So the reason it's doing this is because a lot of money is doing just what we're talking about. It's saying, ah, I think I'll wait this out and I'll come in after I start to see some clarity. All right. Talk to us a little bit, Carter, about what you're seeing in the S&P 500, especially given the fact that, um, you know, going back to, we're going to get a lot of news this week, um, a little bit about the, the direction going forward here, because you also want to focus on a couple of big names that are reporting tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, all eyes are on the preceding intermediate high. That's February 2nd. And uh, it just depends on what index. For instance, the S&P top 50 is already above its uh, corresponding early February high. The OEX is right at it to the penny. The S&P 500 is below it. And so uh, that's an important thing. Perversely, and it's funny, I've had a couple um, clients suggest this, that, you know, we've come so we've come this far from the October lows. We almost have to, you know, sort of check off the box of filling the gap that's above. And then that draws in a lot of money. It's a go time. It's bullish. And it only rolls over from there. It's not a bad, it's not a bad scenario that a couple people painted, uh, uh, postulated. But anyway, this is, this is, this divergence here is important. This is the story of the market. The top 50 outperforming the top 100 in turn outperforming the top 500. Um, this is either many people think it belongs this way because those are the more mature, safe, idiosyncratic growth companies, or that this is the face of fear. This is people saying, I'm very concerned. I'll just put my money in the biggest, safest names. That's yeah, it's interesting. I, I would say this, you know, I started in 1997 in the business. I was working at SAC Capital and a guy who's become a giant of the business. He was big back then. It was Steve Cohen. It was his firm. And you know what's interesting? I haven't heard that name OEX, the, the S&P 100, in a very long time. And they used to trade the options on the OEX and the futures on the OEX like crazy. And it was really interesting. If you think about back then, you know, there weren't too many stocks in the S&P 500 25 years ago that had $100 billion market caps, right? When, when, when you no. think about it, and we have a handful that are trillion dollar plus, but then if you think of that kind of 200 to 300 range, there's tons of, you know, 50 to 100 billion like sort of names. So it's interesting that just 
brought me back a little bit. Guy, you probably used to trade the OEX for hedging purposes yeah, back we, in the day. We, we threw it around all the time back, as you mentioned earlier today, under the crab apple tree or buttonwood tree. And it's interesting if you put that chart back up quickly, because Doug Cass, who watches, I think, on a daily basis, is probably watching now. And thank you, Doug. I'll HT to him. But he pointed out that now Apple is 7.1% of the S&P 500. Now we can all do the math. If they were equally weighted, we would know what 500 stocks would be. If there were 100, each would be 1%. So it stands to reason, you know, 0.2%. So 7.1% is excessive. I don't know if this is the historical um, high for it, but it's pretty meaningful. And I think it harkens back to some of the things we've been saying for a while. I mean, this thing is being buoyed by a handful. And I think Carter's chart speaks to exactly that, Dan. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Carter, let, let's look at, you, you know, I love the, um, when you put the, uh, I, I, what is the uh, relationship between the next charts here? Because you have the long-term charts with, um, you know, the, the three lines there. We're, we're banging in the midriff sort of section here. Walk us through, what, what is this called? Just so you know. Um, so is this, is this a, a, like a technical pattern that you use frequently as an no, overlay? I mean, so what I was trying to do in the report for clients was just to try to make the point that if you look at the next, chart and let's and we'll toggle here one yeah. could say so did he make those lines fit those trend lines did he kind of are they actually parallel so by showing it without those are mathematically parallel lines like i didn't draw them fit them they're from a computer they are in fact direct overlays and the point of showing it this way is to say that the market has that financial crisis low which and it has the covid low and if you were to simply draw a line and connect those two points and then move it up. We we really have lived in this channel since the financial crisis low until we kind of eked out and blew out through the top there in late 2021, which was, of course, the peak. Valuations were almost similar to that of the dot-com, from which, what? The S&P drops 27%, the NASDAQ 100 drops 37%. And now, of course, we're just sort of muddling along. And uh, just for fun, and you can extrapolate it with your eye, do we just continue muddling along? Were we simply to stay ascend, but in a sort of benign way along the midpoint, um, that would get us to around 43.10 at the end of the year, which is about 4% higher from year, and we represent a gain on the year about 12%, sort of in line with historical averages. Um, the top comes into play at a at 54.90, 55. That would be that'd be 32% higher from here. I mean, I don't think there's anything possible that uh, that allow for that. And the bottom comes in at 32.90, which is about 14% um, down if we were to be there at the end of the year. And of course, it's any number of possibilities within that. But the point of showing, when you can look, take the one and look at the channel without the price action, the first chart, it's, it's meant to show that we actually have been, and markets generally ascend, markets go up 70% of the time, um, more Oreo cookies, more Gillette razors, more babies. And generally speaking, America prospers, the world prospers and goes forward. But um, what is it that there are a lot of people saying, you know, we're about to take off. Uh, the rate thing is under control. I don't know what Putin's going to give up or something. And uh, I mean, mm -hmm. it just, I just I don't see that. I think we're going to either muddle along and keep sort of grinding along, maybe at the midpoint, or we do have a more important give back from here. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, guy, did you catch that little Ken Burns little thing that he did in there in the middle that America keeps moving forward? And I, I thought that was Babies, epic. It, it, razors, it, it, no, no, but it almost should have been narrated by David McCullough, who used to do, you know, the fabulous author. I think he recently passed, who used to narrate a lot of those Ken 
Burns. Um, that was that was Those epic. Good documentaries. <laughs> oh, I love them. Um, all right, let's do this because tomorrow night after the close, we got Microsoft and Google. You want to look at both. You actually think they have the potential to go shortly different ways here. The interesting thing about Microsoft, and I think the guy's point, is this thing almost got back to its 52-week high here. And I know you're going to kind of chart that a little bit. The implied move in the options market is about $12.5 in either direction between now and Friday's close. It's about 4.5%. That's not a small number on a $2 trillion uh, plus market cap company here. So talk to us, Carter, what you're seeing in these two charts. Yeah, Microsoft, but also NVIDIA, Apple. We're seeing some churn. Uh, I think everyone knows that. But if we were to look at Microsoft in the context of Google, obviously you have, if you were to call it this, a bottom that um, is in, uh, many people would argue it that way, but independent of that, we're just too far above the 150 day moving average from my point of view. So my thinking is that we, we, we check back. So keeping the same chart, let's annotate it differently. Look how precise the intermediate high of just the past two, three weeks is with the high going back to August, which was an important high for the market. Uh, draw the lines another way, call it an, a double top. Now, if indeed, and we are stalled and it's having a very bad day today, if indeed this is what the arrow implies, where might we be headed? Well, if you extend the 150 day, and there it is, um, I think 265 is a reasonable sort of intermediate price objective for, for Microsoft from here. I think that's right. I look at this and say, you know, for me, you know, you call it a check back. Other people call it mean reversion. Dan, I think that's exactly right. And Carter extrapolated that 150 day moving average, which is probably exactly the right thing to do to try to find a level. And then the question becomes, OK, we get to that level. Are we going to do an overshoot like we obviously did in the fall to the downside? Or is it going to stop there and bounce like we did probably late February, early March? And that's the rub. But to look at this and think we're just going to blow through the upside and, and continue this pretty parabolic move, I would submit since, I don't know, January. So I, I don't listen. There's a chance that that happens. Absolutely. But did I put it at sort of a one in six, one in seven chance? Yeah. And I just say this, that, you know, one of the one of the most important things I would just say is but look at where interest rates are right now and look where they're likely to stay. And if you think about from a valuation standpoint, I mean, for this stock to meaningful break out and go higher in this rate environment with the you know, economy that seems to be, you know, muddling along here, you would need a really important beat and raise. Because if you think about it, I know, Carter, you don't give a crap about the funny metals. There's a lot of enthusiasm, you know, in this stock right now that has entered this stock since the start of this year regarding their ability to integrate open AI you know, um, this large language model, you know, into their productivity suites, into their search and that sort of thing. And so to me, which is why I think it's really interesting that both of these companies are reporting tomorrow night, that would also be Alphabet. And both of them used to be compared for a whole host of reasons, having nothing to do with search, um, uh, having a lot to do with what the growth rate was of their cloud businesses. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So on the flip side of this is that Google or Alphabet was very volatile and it was actually seemed to be on the other side of the excitement around Microsoft. You know what I mean? The stock had a pretty meaningful sell-off beginning the year when it, you know, they failed to kind of launch their product in a way that made investors feel good about it. So talk to us though, because Alphabet's gained some ground back here, Carter, and it's right back towards those kind of early February highs. And let us know what you're thinking here. Right. So whereas um, Microsoft has clearly, um, exceeded the market has uh, has been an outperformer. 
not only uh, to the market, but to the queues. Google is the opposite. Now, uh, there's a trend line drawn uh, to some extent. Again, it's subjective in the eye of the practitioner, mine in this case. But if we were to draw the lines another way, uh, if we were put in the 150-day moving average, and so uh, you, you can see that this is, I think this is an earlier stage where Microsoft's been exploited, the potential. This hasn't. And just to really put it together, if we were to do a comparative chart of the two, that really is the story, right? So that, um, and while they're different businesses, everybody knows this, you're talking about a pretty good spread there. This is just a comparative two-year chart. Um, one stock being up six, 700 base points, the other being down. And so my thinking is that you actually do it as a pair. And I don't mm -hmm. know if we have them. We might have some. So these are, instead of, let's go back one. That's a, that's a comparative chart, the two stocks. You could also look at a ratio. So it's one line. It's one divided by the other. So this is Google and its relative performance of Microsoft. Now, let's put some lines in. That's a pretty interesting. We've gotten down to the lows uh, and now put in the 150-day moving average. Now, while we're, we're not a turn yet, I think you jumped the gun here. I think Google is the play. Um, I know, I think the street considers Google cheaper than Microsoft, but I can leave that to you guys. I just think that, you know, one is pretty loved and has come a long way. The other is a laggard that has catch-up potential. Interesting, because Dan put this trade on, um, and I think the levels were, and Dan will correct me, but I think Microsoft was 270-ish, Google was about 91-ish, sold, sold Microsoft, bought Google. It wound up being that the Microsoft portion worked better than the Google portion. I think Google may have gone to 92, 93, but Microsoft had a couple days in a row where it really cascaded lower, and then you subsequently took the trade off. This trade can work for a number of different reasons. I happen to think both sides are going to work this time where you're finally going to get that continued bounce in Google. It has bounced, but I think you're going to see that continuation to the upside and this can continue to work and Microsoft going lower will accelerate this ratio. So I think you're right when you say jump the gun, get in front of this. And I think that's the right thing to do, Dan. You know, it's funny, you know, if you uh, did business with a fancy structured product desk or something like that on the street and you can say, I want to construct this, I want to buy this chart right here. It's a good looking chart and it's a good thematic um, trend, I think, to play here. So um, thanks for that. All right, Carter, before you get out of here, I saw a video. You were on um, Fast Money on Friday afternoon. You were sitting on the desk and you guys were talking about the week that was um, in Tesla. And, and I thought you had, without even dealing with charts, and this is one of the things that I think um, you are sometimes best um, away from telestrating machines and all that sort of stuff. The way you describe what happened in Tesla last week after their earnings relative to what happened to it in January and the way you said it to Melissa was an equal and opposite reaction, um, you know, quarter over quarter. And I just threw up a couple charts here. And mm -hmm. just real quickly, if you look at the, the kind of one year, you see that declining uh, 150 day and you see that gap that you were talking about back in mm -hmm. January after the beat. And you see here now, it looks like we're about to fill it in. I, I I'm, I'm, would be um, hard pressed to think that it doesn't at this point. Talk to us a little bit about the psychology of that quarter over quarter, because you said a lot of really important things that had nothing to do with the chart. And then maybe they want to throw up a longer one too here a little bit, because I had a cheeky comment the night before to Melissa, and I think she asked you about it. I don't yeah, think- she said 60. I wasn't aware of that. I was- No, I, I made a joke <laughs> that if it go, I think it's going to go back for fundamental reasons and retest those January lows near 100. And then my point was, if it breaks 100, 
all bets are off. And then the pre-pandemic high of about 69, and that's where I was being cheeky, would be my price target. And I made that on 420 because we know that the meme lord, the CEO of Twitter and of Tesla, he likes the memes and all that sort of stuff. So that, that's where I was going with that. Sure. And, and, and look, looking at the long-term chart, one's eye can play the movie out. And you're like, wait a minute. You get the great run up, and now we have the other side of the mountain, as they call it, the, the great sell-off. And, of course, when you have a stock that that is just so far ahead of the facts, or at least the analysts are revising their price targets up and up as they chase it higher, now we get the equal and opposite circumstance. They're revising their earnings, their estimates lower, their price targets lower, constantly behind the price. But, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination, and I'm not saying you don't have imagination. Obviously, you have a lot, is that you could go to 60. Um the only reason I don't talk about sort of extremes is because, you know, a lot of people say, wait a minute, come on, let's let's focus on sort of something more immediate. And then that's what you've done. Do we fill the unfilled gap associated with euphoria mm -hmm. of the January 25, 26 earnings? I think we do. That's uh, we're almost there. Uh, the, the real question is this. And it was asked to me of the desk is is what you're saying based on simply the chart that when the highest multiples, if you will, the sign, the highest price or valuation assigned to any security is when it has no multiple. You see this in biotech, you see it in, in dreamlike business, Blue Apron, they're going to bring food to your house or sweet greens or this technology company, or that technology, this device company. Because when there are no earnings, when there's no real cash flow, it's all just a dream. So you can put any multiple you want. It. The worst thing you can do as a, as a really profound, uh, exponentially growing stock is to actually start to put up numbers because then there's no more dreams, right? Then it's, well, we have to use real numbers to put valuations. And so I would make it akin to what they do in real estate. Big office buildings throughout America, they use pro forma numbers for the empty floors. And the big landlords like that because if you go and book the lease, well, we can't, for the bank, we got we to gotta call it what it is. This, these floors net this amount. $100 a foot. But if we say it's 200, we leave it empty. The bank will go with that too. Pro forma numbers are always fun, but um, that's not the case anymore for Tesla. I love what Carter did there without even realizing it. He sort of, he, he embraced his inner Stockard Channing when he said there are worse things I could do. I love Stockard Channing in Greece, by the way. She was also in the West Wing, Dan. If we could quickly, before we could buy him, go back to that prior chart, not the long-term one, the first Tesla chart we threw up because it's worth looking at. I will tell you, you know, we had a great call on this on the way down. You did. Dan, I will tell you, back in, not in, in I think, December, January, said pressing a short in Tesla is the wrong thing to do. It bounced. Where I made my first mistake was saying you sell it into earnings. I think the stock was trading, I, I want to say, on a 158 or so at the time. Obviously, that was wrong as it continued higher. Then we started to play it out pretty well. We said it's going to trade at the 200-day moving average, and you probably get a move back down to 50% retracement, 165. Go back and look what that low was in the middle of the spring. We thought it would bounce. The bounce was not nearly as strong as the prior one. It failed it again at the moving average, and now here we are. There's no reason for it to sort of hold these levels, so I think that gap gets filled. And then if you quickly look at that last chart that Carter just had up, the long-term chart, I mean, this is a long-term downtrend. Yes, you've had bounces along the way. The last one was over a 100% bounce, but look where we are in relation to the all-time high. So to think that this stock can't continue to go lower, I think is foolish, and it's not being a hater. I mean, this could be any four letters, three letters, two letters, and I'd say the same thing, Dan. 
Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, listen, it's 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 kind of broken. And I think the most important part about it is that, like, if you look at it from slightly above 400 at the end of 2021 to where it is right now, I just, you know, draw, like, as Carter says, mathematically parallel lines, a downtrend, and it probably gets you to the lower bound, which would be 100 bucks on any bad fundamental news or broad market sell-off. All right, Carter Braxton Worth, thank you for doing some heavy lifting with us. Today, man, and we appreciate it. Um, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Carter. All right. Bye, guys. All right, guy. Let's hit a couple things before we get out of here. I thought this was interesting because when you left late, uh, what a, a week ago, Friday, you know, the banks had kind of gotten through. Let's say most of their reporting. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten to the regional banks. Um, there was an interesting article over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal about why the banking mess might not be over. I threw up the the BKX. This is the. Um, the, uh, the KBW bank index. And what's interesting to me about this, this is an equal weight banking index. Carter will often use this one relative to the XLF. And you mentioned this many, many times that the largest holding in the XLF is Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire's acted really well. It doesn't look like a bank like JP Morgan or Citi or Wells or even the investment banks, Morgan and Goldman. So I, when you look at this and we think about what the market has been through, what we think about regional banks, what they've been through, we think about all the trepidation with money center banks, the volatility in rates, the slowing housing market. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? And you look at the BKX, this is just going back to the start of 2022. It's down 30% since the start of February. It doesn't act well. It has not really recovered much. I mean, thoughts there. And then we also have a longer term uh, chart of the BKX, which I think is also really interesting too. It's you know, Sheila Bear came on Fast Money a week and a half, two weeks ago, and she, listen, far more experienced than I, a lot smarter than I, but she also posited that she thought there'd be more shoes to fall in terms of the banks. I agree. I think Warren Buffett, actually, when asked about the banks, he thought there was probably something else to drop. I agree. You go back to that chart, if we could toggle back quickly. I mean, it had that huge leg down. Uh, We've been trading sideways. There's no meaningful bounce. Yeah, it's bounced a little bit. But to me, it's just getting ready for whatever that next leg is. And I'm not adept enough to know what that is. Maybe it comes in the form of a secondary by one of these banks or a take under. I'm not sure. I'll say this, though. You know, people that look at the XLF, and I'm glad you pointed it out. Berkshire Hathaway, I think, is, I want to say, 12%. JP Morgan's 10 And then you throw in Visa and MasterCard. And I think from those four stocks... You have close to 40% of that ETF. It's a poorly constructed. I've said it a number of times. So to look at it, yeah, I mean, you can trade it, but I don't think it gives you a real insight or window into what's going on below the surface, Dan. Yeah, the other point, just technically, interestingly, it ha- it did have a nice bounce. JP Morgan, the day after its earnings, was up nearly 8%. We saw City Wells, they all um, bounced a little bit. Um, Goldman did not have a great quarter. Morgan was trading up in sympathy of the others. But So they, they've kind of lost a little bit of steam here, and that 200-day could act as resistance, just as that resistance line that we showed you um, in the BKX. All right, one other thing I wanted to check in on, because um, you had some strong views on this prior to leaving, um, let's look at crude oil here. You know, we, we put this chart up a couple weeks ago. Do you remember we said really important inflection mm-hmm. point, right? Yeah, we I do remember. It got back to those levels that had failed a couple times, going back to, let's call it December, the 200-day, which was downward sloping. It was like lining up right with that level, right, guy? And so it kind of, it came in, it filled in that gap, 
Carter had a note out last week. He thought he'd kind of reload with that gap fill. Um, so thoughts here a little bit. And then I want to talk about the equities because there's kind of some converging or, or, or diverging, excuse me, um, price action in some of the equities. And, and I just think it's a, again, it remains an interesting setup. Sometimes we will bring up these charts. We'll have opinions on them without a, like a really strongly convicted view. We might think if this happens, then that might also happen. And that's why I just want to take another look at the energy patch here. Well, I thought we'd blow through that moving average. That was wrong. It stopped dead on it. I thought we had some momentum. It felt as if the worst in terms of the commodity was in. Um, the dollar was under pressure i thought you'd started to get some tailwinds in terms of some of the demand things but you know that was short-lived and to your point the equities have come under pressure we're going to hear i think on friday from exxon and chevron or exxon and conoco but two of the big obviously three names that we talk about that should be an interesting uh, earnings release but you're right i mean if you look at the equities valero's been under pressure recently the oih which i think got north of 300 is back down around 275, 280. So the equities seem to be giving up a little bit here. And, you know, one of the pillars, I shouldn't say pillars or, you know, corners of this market has been the energy trade. But the question you have to ask yourself is what happens if we start to lose the energy trade? Now, I want to be careful and say, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm still a believer in a lot of these names, um, but it's been, you know, I look at it where they were when I left. I look at some of these names now, and they've obviously been under some pressure. Yeah, no, and, and, and it's a good point. I mean, so we've been tracking John Butter's work from Earnings Insight, um, you know, at the fact set. And, you know, he's been talking about how energy is, to your point, has been a massive contributor to S&P earnings over the last year. But that's going to start falling off. You're going to see deceleration um, in that. And so you better see some other parts of the S&P 500 pick up a little mm -hmm. of that slack. And so it's interesting, guys. Like, let, let's go over to the XLE. And, you know, 43% of the XLE is Chevron and Exxon, okay? And if you look at this thing, it's a beautiful, uh, you know, like it, you can look at it on a one-year basis and say, or a year and a half, it's been in a beautiful uptrend, a series of higher lows, right? But then since it's highs uh, or the matched highs, and you could have made that look like a double top here, it's been in a little bit of a downtrend. You yeah. see the series of lower highs here. And so, you know, it's the gap down there is that 200-day moving average now. Let's look at the largest component. Let's look at Exxon, which is 23% of the XLE. Look at this thing. So it's kind of interesting. When I see this and I see a really nice uptrend, I see a consolidation. I see the check back to the 200-day moving average and also the uptrend. And now I see it consolidating with a really strong day today, right? It looks like it wants to break out. Yeah. So what does that tell you about the XLE? It tells you that like, you know, if the, the XLE is down 9% from its highs and Exxon, its largest, you know, component is about to make new highs, there's a lot of other weakness under the hood, which is pretty similar. You started the show by saying that you keep an eye on the Russell 2000, which is massively the small caps underperformed its large cap brethren. And I suspect that's what's playing out also in the energy patch. No, you, you're right to point that out. And look, Exxon has been an outlier without question, but you can also say that, you know, Exxon has probably really established itself over the last few years as best of breed. I think when you saw that news or whatever it was, rumor, I can't, you know, I don't want to put the pro improper word on it, but Exxon potentially looking at Pioneer, which I still think would be north of a $60 billion deal if it were to happen. Um, it didn't necessarily mean it was going to happen. It just speaks to the strength and the balance sheet and the position that a lot of these companies find themselves in. So, 
Exxon clearly an outlier, but you know, for every Exxon I could give you, you make the right point. There's some other stocks in that index that have not performed particularly well. And some of the refiners have been under pressure and some of these more levered names have been under pressure. So you're having sort of a divergence within the divergence, uh, if I may. Fair enough. All right. Well, we wanted to we wanted to hit that. I'm glad we got to hit um, Microsoft and Alphabet with Carter. Those are two of the big ones this week here. Um, all right. That's it, dude. You're back. Well, it's it. Um, it. It is it. It is a big game. First of all, I think a lot of uh, people that are denizens of Madison Square Garden that have been sort of in the desert of NBA basketball find themselves approaching a bit of an oasis in the form of a 3-1 Nick lead against the Cavaliers. And that's not a bad Cavalier team. Donovan Mitchell is one of the top eight players in the league, and they pretty much held him to a donut yesterday. Now, he took full blame, and he's going to come out firing at home without question. But this Nick team is playing some defense, yeah. and they got a nice rotation. Dan wants me out of here. No, and no, guys. Ranger dude, hockey was... tonight, man, is yeah, going to be, be – Dan there. was there the other night. You're going tonight. You yeah. think it was nuts on Saturday night. Those These people are going to be full-throated because this young goalie they have between the pipes for the Devils, man, he played like a mature Martin Brodeur. He's <laughs> not going to have it that easy tonight. So I look for a big bounce-back win from the blue shirts. Poppin sucks. Hey, listen, it was a pretty epic four days. It, Friday night, the Knicks were in MSG. Saturday night, the Rangers. Yesterday afternoon, the, the 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 Knicks and that place was going crazy right towards the end of the game and so tonight when they when they solidify that three one lead take it uh, back don't, no, no, don't speak don't do not speak in certainties please yeah. that Fair kills enough. me all right well maybe we'll get you to a game in the next round guy and I know that's oh. really not something that you, you don't you don't touch as Boomer Siason says you don't touch the money you let. It's one shift, yeah. one period, one game. When is, when is Guy from Morristown going to call back in? I got to call. Boomer? I haven't called in in a while. But Why not? Boys. What are you doing? I got to call in. They love you. It's they funny. They, they'll you. say, you know, it's Guy from Morristown. And then, and then I'll say, hi, it's Guy from Morristown, which has become a bit of a gag. But whatever. Nobody seems to care. I but can't. it is funny. I will tell you. I will let you folks know the next time. Maybe we can embed it in our. Uh, on our YouTube channel or the Risk Reversal Media website. Did I use that word word right, embed? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, well, that's it for Market Call. I want to thank Carter Worth. He looked good, by the way. You see the hair? It was slick. He had the pocket square. Obviously, Dan, heavy lifting last week. I want to thank FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. Amanda Jacob Rafis behind the glass, as they say. I also want to say subscribe to our YouTube channel and smash the shit out of whatever button you see, Dan. Fair enough. Guy, great having you back. Thank you guys all for being here. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock.